Welcome to the Whole House Podcast, where you can find home, health, and family all in one place. Our team is comprised of moms from different upbringings and backgrounds. We each have different giftings and passions representing individual rooms, and together we are the Whole House. So grab a cup of coffee and join us for the Whole House Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Whole House Podcast. Today, it's Kathleen, and we are on our third week of journaling. And this week, we're going to talk about journaling your triggers and your child's triggers. So, of course, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. And I'm also going to tell you that I am not a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I am an Empowered to Connect parent trainer and I'm a mom. So... I'm going to be speaking from experience and science and sharing some of the tips that I have learned along the way. So I also want to let you know that this material that I'm sharing today is from my course, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos for Adoptive and Foster Parents, and also from the book as well. So if you're interested in learning more or trying one of the samples, there's a sample module that you can try on Teachable, and I will make sure that I link that in the articles that are going to go live this week. So, journaling your triggers and journaling your child's triggers. Now, if you haven't faced your past or even thought about your past or your childhood, this week's assignments may produce an some overwhelming feelings. So I just want you to be prepared for that. Sometimes it takes actually feeling your feelings before you can move towards healing or helping your kiddos move in that direction. So if you did the first week's assignments, which was making sense of your feelings through journalings, through journaling, you probably have done a little bit of this. And maybe you, for the first time, allowed your feelings to flow and thought, oh my goodness, I have some feelings I didn't know about, or you finally gave yourself permission to acknowledge your feelings and to put them onto paper and then to confront them and put them into place and look at some scriptures to help you. So I would suggest that you continue that sort of process this week for yourself when you're dealing with feelings from your past. Now, why are memories so triggering? Have you ever smelled something like cinnamon rolls baking or coffee brewing and it suddenly evokes a feeling from a past event? Maybe it's Christmas morning because your mom made cinnamon rolls and coffee every year. Or maybe that scent of a perfume sends you to a dark place because you were at Aunt Mary's house the time you were molested and she wore that scent liberally. Why does this happen? Why doesn't the past just stay in the past? Tommy Newberry explains, your subconscious mind is incapable of distinguishing between actual events and one that is only imagined. So when we have these flashbacks, our minds act as if they're actually happening again. Our subconscious doesn't distinguish the past, present, or future. So after hearing that, you might think, well, why do I even want to process my past? 
Why can't it just leave me alone? Here's the key. If we don't make sense of and peace with our past, we will continue to be triggered. We will live in a fearful, reactionary ways. If we want to live positive lives, fully present with our kiddos, we must take the time to work on making peace with our past. And that's why I put this first. You know, it's it's very popular like to figure out what's going on with your kids and it's it's extremely important to do that, but if we don't do this for ourselves first, then our kiddos will keep triggering us because of their behaviors, because of their past trauma, or just because of their kids. And then we will just live in a chaotic world and we will not be happy with that. Okay. This is a quote from Caroline Leaf's book, Switch on Your Brain, The Key to Peak Happiness, Thinking and Health. Our mind is designed to control the body of which the brain is a part, not the other way around. Matter does not control us. We control matter through our thinking and choosing. We cannot control the events and circumstances of life, but we can control our reactions. In fact, we control our reactions to anything, and in doing so, we change our brains. It's not easy. It's hard work, but it can be done through our thoughts and choices. So if you've never thought about that before, that is such a novel concept. I remember when I first started studying the brain and learning these things, it just really blew me away. I had never heard those sorts of things like, wait a minute, we are just victims of our circumstances. That's the way I used to think. I didn't really put it in those words. It was just kind of like, you know, well, we can't help it. Those things happen to us. And if you think that way, then we become stuck, really stuck, and we can't move forward in making peace with our past. And if you're thinking, oh my goodness, those things happen to me, and I can't control that. That's true. You can't erase the fact that things happened, neither can your kiddos. What you can do is change your mind about how you react to your triggers, You don't have to be ruled by them. You can do the hard work of changing your brain. So, are you ready? As we say at the beginning of the podcast. So, the first day's assignment is just start with a positive memory. Think of a time when you were a child and you were just immensely happy. Was it a camping trip, a birthday party, playing with your cousins, Write it all down in the most vivid detail you can. Have fun with it. Use your five senses. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you feel? Just have fun with it and share it with someone. Don't just keep it to yourself. Share it with your hubby or a friend and say, Hey, you know what? I remember this really fun time when we were camping in Canada and we were fishing. Share something. Because as, as much as we may have had, some of us have had trauma in our past, we also have those memories that are buried in there that were good times. So it's important to dig those up first 
before we move forward in digging up some of the things that we really don't want to face. Okay, so every day, Monday through Friday, there will be an article on thewholehouse.org about exactly what we're talking about. So I just talked about what's on the first day, and I'm going to move on to what's on the second day. So one way you can handle this podcast, instead of listening to it all at once, you could stop it right now on Monday and then wait till Tuesday and listen to the next portion and then Wednesday listen to the next portion. So I'll let you know where you could stop it and that will break it down into more bite-sized pieces and also then you can go ahead and do the assignments because I know some people are auditory and they want to listen to this. Some people are visual and they watch the little one or two minute videos that I've been posting on Instagram and Facebook in the evenings. And some people just want to read the article. So we got you covered here. So let's move forward to making peace with your past. We parents believe that our past, that is the way we were raised, is just a book on a shelf of memories. It's not. Triggers are where past and present intersect. We can't assume our past isn't affecting our present parenting. That's from How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos, the book. All right, so, you know, adoptive and foster parents, we go through training and we learn all about your kids have had trauma, they've been neglected or abused or whatever situation, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, they have a past, so we need to be aware of that. But sometimes we forget that we have one too, I'm not saying that everybody in the whole world has huge trauma, but we all, we all have some sorts of mini traumas in our life, M-I-N-I. So we have to deal with that. And if we don't make sense of our peace, uh, of our past and peace with it, we will be in constant conflict with our children. All right, so you may be listening to this because you're like, wait, I am in constant conflict with my children and I want to move forward. I get it. I've lived there. When I finally understood where my kiddos' behaviors were coming from, I made a tiny bit of progress. And then I had some brain science and psychology under my belt, but my house still often felt like a war zone. And let me emphasize the word felt. I was feeling all sorts of things. By that, I mean my kids' behaviors were triggering things that happened in my past. And I was feeling it all over again. I was taking their behaviors personally because I was personally affected by them. I had a past that needed to be examined. I was the last person to think the problem was actually me. Oh my goodness. If that's you, if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I think that I am part of the problem. Or if you're thinking, hey, I never thought about myself as being part of the problem. Maybe this is time to think about it. I was part of the problem and I didn't want to face the truth. I wanted to stay stuck in my cycle of blaming my kids' behaviors for the chaos in my home. 
And when I finally got a hold of the truth that my past was parenting my children, I needed to face it. Is your past parenting your children? Are your reactions, reactions that you have had from your past? For for example, if someone spills a glass of water or milk or whatever, is your reaction to that some reaction that someone has had to you when you were a child? I remember that was one of the things that I struggled with in my early parenting. It's like automatically when something like that happened, someone spilled something, someone broke something, someone dropped something, some kid did. It was like these reactions would well up of anger. And I would think, where is that coming from? And I realized it was coming from my past. And it took me a while to identify that and sort it out and say, wait a minute. I do not want to react that way. I do not want to parent with my past. Spilling a glass of milk or juice is not the end of the world. And 10 years from now, is that going to matter? And I started learning or kind of making up definitely with the Holy Spirit guiding me these kind of little mantras that I would say. And obviously, I said them often because my kids still say them to me today. Like people are more important than things. Whenever something would get broken, that's what I would say. People are more important than things. And are you okay? Like, did you get hurt when that vase shattered at your feet? You know, those sorts of things. And that began to what I was talking about earlier. That began to change my mindset. That began to form a new pathway in my brain. So I would react differently. So... Often those tussles are not about our kids at all. They're all about us. That's not to say that if you have kids from hard places that they don't have a past. It just means our past is running interference on the play. So take a few minutes and journal the last interaction you think triggered you to react to your past instead of your present. Was a child not, I mean, it can be as simple as a child didn't finish their dinner. That was a big one if you are raised in the time period that I was raised. It was like, clean your plate. Or it was like, children are going to starve in Africa if you don't clean your plate, that kind of thing. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's spilling something or breaking something or being disrespectful. Whatever it is, write it down. Write it down and just you know, examine it, be able to put it in its place like I did my reactions to people spilling things or breaking things. And slowly over time, I was able to change my reaction with God's help. Don't try to do this by yourself. Okay, and before we end for this is would be Tuesday, your adverse child experiences. There's actually a little test that's linked in the article that you can take and make sure... I also, there's a whole article that goes with it. Read the whole article to find out what it does mean and doesn't mean. So let's end this day with something nurturing. If you've never taken the time until today to process some of your childhood, you may be overwhelmed right now. I've been there. Lots of people have. I was conducting a workshop for some social workers and nurses once with this topic, how your past affects you now, and a nurse yelled out, I'm not going to parent my kids the way my mom did. I'm going to hug them. 
she shouted that out right in the middle of the workshop. So she must have felt that very emphatically. We can and should have those sorts of reactions to facing our past. Not to throw our parents under the the bus, but to decide where to go from here. So answer these questions. What is nurturing to you? So in the article for Tuesday, I provided some questions for you to work through just for that. What is a deep source of comfort and emotional nurturing for you? How do you recognize nurturing? Are you comfortable giving emotional support? Does your own childhood weigh heavily on your heart and mind? If so, how? Do you comfort others in order to comfort yourself? What does this look like? Are you able to recognize your own emotions as well as others? If not, what steps can you take to start recognizing these emotions in yourself? And like I said, this is an excerpt from the course, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos. And for this particular module, I'm sharing a little bit from, there is a PDF provided with these questions. So this is the end of Tuesday if you are pausing the podcast and waiting till the next day. And I will go to Wednesday. So change begins with us. All right, so we're going to move forward to journaling your triggers. You knew it was coming, right? I'm taking a sip of my coffee. And, okay, so now we're on journaling your triggers. This would be Wednesday. If we are willing to piece together our stories and see the relationship between what happened then and what's happening now, we get to make choices about what happens next. That's from Tell Me a Story. It's difficult to make choices in the heat of the moment. That's why it's important to take some time and revisit our past, make sense of it, and begin healing. While we are healing, we can put some proactive responses into place. Like I talked about, people are more important than things. Whenever we put those responses into place, you can decide how you're going to respond ahead of time. If you know that when your child steals candy out of the secret stash, it triggers a memory in you of when your Aunt Verna whipping you with a switch until your behind was raw, develop a pre-planned go-to response. And it's also really important to put those sorts of things into their place. You know, if your child is stealing candy, I'm just going to go off into the adoptive foster care world here for a second which is one of the things we're really focusing on this week. I have so many parents who will tell me, you know, my kid is lying, my kid is stealing. That's so normal for kids who have had trauma in their past. It's to be expected. I'm not saying that it's to be welcomed. I'm saying it's to be expected. And the the practice of saying, you know, did you lie to me? Don't do that. If you know a child has lied to you and they don't have the regula- the regulation skills to tell the truth, then just start from there. 
you didn't tell the truth, and because you didn't, let's work on this. Let's do something, okay? So separate yourself from the situation. Avoid saying things like, if I had done that, my mother would have, or my uncle would have. Instead, turn the situation at hand logically. The child took the candy, therefore he can't have any after dinner, or whatever you decide is the consequence. As Andy Stanley writes in Deep and Wide, the past is only the past for a time. It has a way of clawing itself into our future. And if you don't recognize it for what it is, the results can be devastating. If we don't recognize our past and its overwhelming power to invade our now, we will remain stuck. If we come to terms with our past and work through it, we can gain a whole new outlook on it. Now, I'm going to say something you may have never considered because it took me a long time to process this and accept this. Your past can be a gift. I honestly never thought I would view the trauma in my past as a gift. I had years of anger, bitterness, and a reoccurring, why me? I don't feel that way anymore. I realized a long time ago that empathy is a superpower that is only earned through going through trauma. Sympathy only reaches the boundaries of understanding someone else's pain. Empathy feels that pain. So if you've had a lot of trauma in your past and you're listening to this and you're like, I'm trying to do these journal assignments, but I am so stuck in anger and depression and I just want to lash out at people. I understand. I've been there. And honestly, that's, that's part of the process that you have to go through. You're going to have to let yourself feel the feelings before you move forward. And let me just say right here, if you're struggling and you're stuck, find a Christian counselor or therapist to help you. And if you don't feel ready to do that, at least find a trusted friend who isn't going to go tell everyone and who is going to just listen and let you process things. Because telling our story is extremely, extremely important on the road to healing. I'm not saying that you should be grateful that someone molested you or that you're, or someone did horrible things to you. But you can be grateful for the gift of empathy. And here's one of my favorite scriptures, which I have shared with so many adoptive parents. We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are a call and are called according to his design and purpose. Romans 8:28. So all things, all things work together for good. All things. That doesn't that doesn't say in that scripture that all things are good. It says that all things work together for good. God takes our pain, our past and our experiences and fits them into a plan that help others.
And I've spoken to so many foster and adoptive parents over the years, and they all seem to have a common denominator. At least one half of the couple has experienced early trauma. I've talked to foster parents who've spent years in and out of group homes, were raised in foster homes, were raised by alcoholics or drug addicts, or had moms who worked as prostitutes. And I'm not mentioning these things to shame their past or their parents, but to let you know if you experienced early trauma, you are not alone. Maybe you identify. Maybe you didn't have the greatest childhood. Maybe this whole module has, module, I'm saying module, this whole journaling thing has been excruciatingly painful for you. I get it. So let's not just end on the trauma. Let's end on the gift that it's given to you. And here's something you can do right now. Just take a deep breath. Just breathe. And just process this. And find some joy in a small thing today. Maybe do something fun with your kiddos just because you want to. Not because you have to. Just because you want to. And take a little time and journal just one of your triggers. One of mine, and I've shared this before, is riding in the back of a car. It's linked to the times that my father came to pick us kiddos up for a visit after my parents' divorce. He lived in a different state every year, and we often drove for days without anyone telling me where we were going. As soon as we got in the car, my anxiety took over. Today, as you write up a trigger, also write up a new predetermined response. So mine is when I'm getting in a car and I have to ride in the back, God is with me wherever I go. He will never leave or forsake me. It's my go-to when traveling. Also, as much as possible, I like to find the route to where I'm going. So what can you do to conquer your trigger? Okay, so this is the end of Wednesday. So if you want to pause this, stop it, wait till tomorrow, then this is the time to do it. Because we're going to be moving on to Thursday, which is Journaling Your Child's Triggers Part 1. So, we're finally to your kiddos. So the focus is going to go off you, and you're probably breathing a sigh of relief. Like, okay, I don't want to talk about me anymore. I don't want to talk about my feelings or my past or anything. Let's talk about somebody else's feelings. So here you go. Journaling your child's triggers. Children who have been traumatized in infancy and early childhood cannot be expected to behave or respond to stimuli in the same way as children who have not. So here's a key to remember. As Dr. Karen Purvis reminds us, our children were harmed in and through relationships And they will find healing in and through nurturing relationships. That is such wonderful news. So your kids that have come to you from hard places, their relationships harm them. But they can also be healed through new and great relationships and connection. 
Trauma is much more far-reaching than we assumed in the past. We've always been told that children are resilient, and they are, but there are effects that trauma leaves behind. It affects every area of a child. Trauma harms the brain. Its footprint can be seen in these areas, social, learning, behavioral problems, which is regulation, and physical development. And Dr. Purvis, you've heard me say this, and I got this term from her. She calls these children children from hard places. The passage of time for these little ones does not in itself reduce trauma's impact to a bearable level. The trauma contaminates the meaning of life and is part of early personality formation. Neurobiologically, trauma shapes the developing brain. So we have to remember that. So if your child had early trauma, then you know that it has shaped their brain. And if you aren't sure, read the article, The Six Risk Factors, and listen to the podcast on the subject. And it's linked in the article. Also, you can find a handy printable resource on our printable resource section on thewholehouse.org. So today, take some time to think about your child's history. This will help you begin to recognize the triggers. Write down the risk factors that she or he encountered before coming home to you. Or even if it's your biological child and you know that they've had some trauma, take some time to write those risk factors down that you can find in the article. Take some time to pray and process how these things can be affecting behavior. Sometimes we moms get so busy just doing the things, making the peanut butter sandwiches, making sure everybody gets a turn with the game, making sure everyone gets a balloon, that we don't sit down and really process things. We're so busy reacting to what's going on that we don't process it and say, hey, Every day at 2 o'clock, this particular child has a meltdown. Or every day after school, this child can't function. And we, if we begin to really examine those things and process where those reactions or dysregulation are coming from, then we can help our kiddos make some, proce- um, some progress. Okay? So, this is the end of of Thursday. So if you want to pause or stop the podcast until tomorrow, till Friday, that this is the time to do it. Okay. Now I'm going to move forward to Friday, which is journaling your child's triggers part two. All right. I'm going to start with love is enough. Love is is enough is a common misconception among parents in general, but even more so with kids who have experienced trauma. Kids who have had trauma seem to have a built-in button-locating radar. They find our buttons and push them over and over and over and over and over. It's natural that we parents may think they are pushing our buttons or misbehaving to make us mad. Have you ever thought that? I mean, I used to think that, especially with my first child who had some health issues, 
and she couldn't sleep, and she just didn't seem to be content at any time. And it was because of her health issues. But I thought, oh my gosh, this child does not like me. I remember telling my husband that she doesn't like me. I shouldn't be a mother to any more children. I'm not good at this at all. In reality, behavior stems from hers was stemming from her health issues, but it can also stem from early trauma and its effects on our kiddos. Most children that came to foster care, orphanage, or other institutions are disorganized in their attachment and stuck in disintegration. The people who are supposed to care for them hurt them. This sets off a constant warning bell in the brains of these children. We call these the results of a stress-shaped brain. So early life experience shaped their brains to expect the worst and be on high alert at all the time. This response is known as hypervigilance. The hypervigilant child jerks at every sound and they don't recognize their body's own signals of hunger, thirst, and rest. Now, normally, parents seamlessly teach regulation. When the child is hungry, the mother feeds him. If she is cold, if he is cold, she wraps him in a blanket. No, actually, if mom's cold, she wraps the baby in a blanket. <laughs> if, she, if he is tired, she rocks him to sleep. This pattern continues with the mother regulating for the child until he begins to regulate for himself. He asks for a drink when he is thirsty. He puts on his sweater when he is cold. He grabs his blankie when he's ready for bed. Now, if you want to know more about this, I'm talking about the attachment cycle. You can find articles on thewholehouse.org about the attachment cycle. And I did a whole series on the different types of childhood attachment on the Positive Adoption podcast, which you can find on our on thewholehouse.org. All right, so moving forward, kids who haven't had this early regulation don't know how to regulate. This doesn't just apply to hunger and thirst, but those are the biggies. It also applies to behavior. Behavior is what we see externally, but it's not the whole picture. We need to learn to watch the external behaviors as a clue to whether the child can regulate internally or not. Tantrums, meltdowns, aggression, and most other challenging experiences of parenting and life are a result of loss of integration, known as disintegration. And that's from the book, The Whole Brain Child. Neurons that fire together, wire together. In plain English, the more a behavior is acted out or a trigger is acted upon, the more it becomes a pattern in the brain. It's as if the road is dug out, graveled, and paved by repeated experiences. The paved road then becomes the primary travel route. So we have to remember that if your child has experienced neglect or abuse, they already have these paved roads that they're going to automatically in their brain drive to and then it's going to show up in their behavior. 
And we tend to think that our child is doing this to us on purpose. So if we're not careful, we end up focusing on the behavior instead of digging deeper into the root of the problem. So just remember that. We need to not get into that us-against-them mentality. So the poor choices in behavior speak what the child is unable to state verbally. So we have to begin to teach the kids what they're feeling. They may not know. And then it's okay to tell them what to say. If you know that your child is hungry or they need a drink, then just provide those things for them. One of the things I had to do with several of my kiddos was just make sure they ate and drank something every two hours because they didn't recognize their own body signals. Another thing is to put yourself into your child's shoes. Have you ever been in a situation when you felt anxious or afraid for no apparent or logical reason? Raising my hand here. Instead of considering a situation your child was in, think of a situation you were in. Think of a time that you should have felt safe, but you felt anxious. Go back to that feeling for a minute. Let it really wash over you. Then imagine feeling like that all the time. That may be how your child is feeling. And it helps us to do that exercise so that we can use our superpower of empathy. All right, so I'm going to finish up by just giving you a little reminder that if you're not familiar with a lot of these things that I'm talking about, science says there are five Bs affected by trauma, and we can't overlook that. So in Kids from Hard Places, Behavioral disorders are symptoms of the effect that trauma has had on their development. And if you're not familiar with the five B's, then take a few minutes and read about them. I have the article linked on Friday's article. And then I did a whole podcast series, one on each of the five B's. It's information that's extremely important for you to read and listen to and take your time because It will be available long after we finish this journaling month. Okay, so here's your assignment. Armed with the information that you have learned, write down some of your child's triggers. And just remember this information. Remember the science. Remember how trauma affects kids. And remember how you felt when you were anxious and shouldn't feel anxious. Okay? So this is the end of Friday's assignment. And this is the end of journaling week three. And just as a reminder, all of this week's information is from the course, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos, and it's linked in the articles. And if you think, oh my goodness, This material is interesting, it's helpful, it's new to me, and I want to learn more. I'm not sure I want to invest in the course yet. Well, guess what? We have a free module, and that's linked on the articles. You can just click on the thing that says, yes, I want to sample the e-course. So we made it super easy for you. 
I know that this week has been a lot, a lot, a lot of information, a lot of digging. Hopefully you took my advice and stopped the podcast and just did a little bit each day so that you didn't get too overwhelmed. And if you listen to it all at once, and I suggest that you maybe listen to it again and break it up into days. Break it up into listen to it a little bit when you're in the car driving to the grocery store or picking up the kids or whatever you're doing so that it's in more manageable bite-sized pieces. So I hope you have gained some insight, information, and understanding this week. And I thank you for joining me. And next week, I'm really excited about that. I'm always really excited about journaling. But next week, we're going to use journaling to plot out a book or an article, which I'm really excited about. And just remember, these are just little tiny, tiny, tiny journaling things. If you want to learn more about journaling, then go ahead and research it. If you want to reach out to us and ask some questions, happy to answer. And as usual, thanks for joining me today on the Whole House Podcast. I will see you next week. Bye. We're so glad you could join us on the Whole House Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on our Facebook page and on Instagram at the underscore whole underscore house. You can also follow us on thewholehouse.org by email to receive our newsletter and keep up to date on things happening at the Whole House.